Lauren's mom died when Lauren was 12, and then her dad died when she was 28. She hit a breaking point with depression and anxiety. She realized she had isolated herself in her grief and was at war with her mind and body. Thanks to therapy, she finally realized life doesn't have to be this way. If you are enjoying the podcast, can you please go to the show and leave a rating and review? I'd really appreciate it. And now, Lauren's story. Hi, this is Beth, and welcome back to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. Uh, Today I have with me Lauren, and I think, you know, most everybody I've met recently have been, you know, through online, the online community and through Instagram, Um, and Lauren is actually a part of the Griefstagram community, I call it sometimes. Um, She's going to tell us a little bit about that, but she did share with me that um, she hasn't shared her whole story a lot, so... Um, I always say I feel privileged for people to share their stories on the podcast. So thank you, Lauren, for being here. I am going to turn the mic over to you and let you tell yourself and introduce, let you introduce yourself and tell your story. And then I will come back when you're finished with some questions. So thank you for being here. Thank you, Beth. Thank you so much for having me. Um, And thank you for this space. You know, listening to other people's grief stories has helped me so much in my journey, which is why, you know, I've really felt the pull lately to really share my grief story in hopes that it does help others. Um, Grief is such a unique experience um, for each individual, yet when you meet someone who has suffered a similar loss as yours, it's like you instantly have this bond because you know that they just get it. And I think that's really expressed a lot in your podcast. So thank you again for this opportunity. Um, So my name is Lauren Bittner and I am a grief empowerment coach. I do one-on-one coaching virtually. Um, I started my business a little bit over a year ago and I do it part-time. I'm also a stay-at-home mom to my two daughters. They are six and four and I'm happily married to my husband of eight years. Um, my grief journey began 25 years ago when my mom died. I was 12 years old. I was in sixth grade and she was 51 years old. She died from lung cancer. Uh, she started smoking when she was very young, like a teenager and basically never stopped, um, you know, both of my parents smoked a lot and they smoked in our house. So, um, but my mom also battled a mental illness. She, um, was diagnosed with schizophrenia and manic depression. And I believe that's also another reason why she smoked so much. So my childhood was pretty traumatizing and I had a complicated relationship with my mom. I witnessed her having mental breakdowns and manic episodes in our house, in our neighborhood. And it was really embarrassing for me as a child. It was really hard for me to understand what was going on. Um, My friends witnessed it, my neighbors witnessed it, and I I just didn't understand. Because I felt so ashamed and embarrassed, um, I spent most of my life 
avoiding my grief or even talking about her after she died. So I realized lately that I never really got to know who my mom truly was. You know, I know she was kind. I know she was full of love. She had a great sense of humor. Um, she was extremely intelligent. She got her bachelor's degree in biology. Um, and she was also an amazing artist. I have lots of her paintings hanging in my house. And I know she would, you know, I have pictures of her selling her paintings on the streets of Manhattan. You know, she was a really good artist. Um, but unfortunately, I only had 12 years on this earth to really get to know her. And her mental illness was a big part of that. Um, so she would always, you know, despite her illness, I knew she loved me so much. I felt her love. She would always leave me notes in my lunchbox. She would spoil me with toys and treats whenever she was healthy and in, in good. Um, I even have some memories of her taking me and a friend to the movies or out to eat or shopping. Um, she would go to my cheerleading competitions when she was healthy enough to be there. She had a big heart and she was very giving. She even wrote me a letter before she died and asked my dad to give it to me when I graduated from eighth grade, which was really emotional to me. Um, and, but she expressed so much love and so much pride in that letter. So like, I just, I knew it, I felt it. There really is nothing like a mother's love. And um, I know that even more deeply now, as a mother myself. So my mom was physically sick for about a year before she died. She was in the hospital for months at a time. Um, I never really knew exactly why. I just knew she was in a lot of pain and she had to be in there. I was in fifth grade. Um, and I remember like she wasn't at my moving up ceremony. She wasn't at like a lot of the events and the school activities in my last year of elementary school. I didn't know she had lung cancer. My dad kept that from me. Um, that was a decision that he made. And it wasn't until about two weeks before she died when they were putting her in a hospice. And my dad, I remember my dad saying to me, you know, they're moving mom to a hospice now. And I was like, well, what is that? And he said, well, that's where you go when you're about to die. Mom has lung cancer. We picked out a coffin for her last week. Like, just like that. So I was like, oh, like I thought she was going to be coming home from the hospital. So immediately I, I don't even know if I went back to school. Cause like I said, that was about two weeks before she actually died. I spent my days in that hospice with her. I was by her side and I sort of watched her life sort of dwindle away at 12 years old. You know, I had my older sister too. Um, my dad was there a lot too. I remember he worked in Manhattan. We lived in New, in New Jersey. So he would go into work a little bit, kind of did what he had to do. My aunt, my mom's sister came up from Florida. My grandpa came up from Florida. You know, everyone was there surrounding her during her last days. Um, so that, that time was really special to me that I got with her, you know, but I remember, I remember, when her fingers started turning blue and when she stopped eating, you know, I remember seeing her body shut down. I remember the last words that I said to her, you know, when that last night, when I knew like she passed overnight. So it's just like, you just knew saying goodbye to her that night. 
I remember picking out what she was going to wear in her coffin. I remember designing her tombstone. I remember what items that were sentimental to me that I put in her coffin with her, you know, all of that. Um, but after she died, I refused counseling. I, it wasn't until I was in 11th grade. So this was about five years after my mom, my mom died. I mean, I kind of like, after she died, I kind of just moved on. I think also because, you know, my childhood was so traumatizing and her mental illness was so severe that like me, my sister and my dad were just sort of like, Oh, like she's put to rest. She is at peace now. And we didn't really talk about her after that. Um, and I had a great time in middle school and I was having a great time in high school. Like I got good grades. I was involved. I was a cheerleader. I had lots of friends. Um, but at one point in 11th grade, I remember I didn't go to my first period class I searched the halls by the nurse's office, like, where is the counselor's office? And I just sat there and I, and I waited for him to come by. And I said, I need to talk to somebody. And he said, okay, <laughs> come on in, you know? And I started to open up. Um, and that was a really pivotal moment in my, my grief journey and in my counseling journey. Um, and I still keep in touch with that high school counselor now, almost 20 years later, um, we had a really special connection and he really saved me. So part of the reason why I went to see him was because life at home was not easy. My dad was an alcoholic and he suffered from PTSD from being drafted in the Vietnam War. He was drafted when he was in college. Um, and my aunt's exact words were, you know, he never came back the same person. So I believe that's when his alcoholism started. Um, and he was a sad alcoholic. He, you know, he would go to work. He would do what he had to do to provide for me and my sister. Um, but he would come home drunk every night and wasn't really able to be a dad, you know, a parent. So, you know, here I was at 17 years old, you know, my mom was dead and I was taking care of my traumatized alcoholic father, really. So, but just like my mother, even though my dad suffered from this illness, I loved him so much. We were actually very close. Um, and I knew he loved me. We had a strong bond and he was always very supportive of my education and all the activities and me going to college so um, I went on to college and uh, was not in therapy or anything like that, was still not addressing <laughs> any of my grief or my trauma. And I went to graduate school out of state. And that was when I started going to therapy because I was realizing how my trauma from my childhood and my grief was affecting um, my ability to be in a relationship with someone and all of that. So, and I was also terrified of developing some sort of mental illness in my early twenties, just like my mom had. <laughs> so I spent a few years working on myself and I really value that time. And I finally met my now husband, Rob. So after dating him for about a year, 
he proposed to me. And this story is really special to me because he tied my mom's, uh, my mom into the proposal. We, it was around my mom's birthday in August. And he, I had, was telling him how I just had a shoe box in my closet of a memory box of her, right? You know, all the cars, all the memories that I, the sentimental things that I kept, but it was just in like a paper shoe box. So he had like a leather bound box made with my mom's, with like a metal plate on the front and my mom's initials engraved in it. And one night he just said, Hey, I have something really special for you. I know it's almost your mom's birthday, like here. So I opened it up and I was like, Oh my gosh, like, this is so sweet. And then when he handed it to me, like, I realized there was something in it and he was like, open it. And it was the ring and he was down on one knee and he proposed to me. And, you know, I just am so grateful that because my mom had died so many years before that. I hadn't even really opened up and talked about my mom a lot to him, <laughs> but he just knew, right? And I I realize this now that grief shows up so much when you reach major milestones in your life. So when I got engaged, I was just flooded with all of these emotions. I realized I never really got to know my mom really well. I didn't I didn't know what traits I had of hers. I didn't know how she felt when she got engaged and she was planning her wedding. You know, I was not only grieving the fact that she died, but I was grieving the relationship that I never got to have with her. So I remember being really anxious about picking out my wedding dress. Um, I just really felt her absence, even though I had my older sister with me. Um, you know, I was living in a different state. So when I came home to visit, I said to my sister, all right, we're going to one shop. I think I tried on like four dresses. I picked the one and like, that was it. I didn't want to make a big deal of it because I really was having a hard time with my mom's absence. So then um, about three months after we were engaged, um, I was hit with another really hard loss and my dad died and it was sudden. And... <laughs> That, that was really hard. Um, he was living with COPD undiagnosed. Um, he was a very stubborn man. <laughs> um, and he just collapsed one night. He was at his girlfriend's house and he was having trouble breathing. She called 911. He was rushed to the hospital. Again, I was living in South Carolina. He was in New Jersey. So as this was all happening, I get a phone call from my sister. You know, she was rushing to the hospital. I caught the first flight I could up, up to New Jersey. They did something called, you know, cold therapy treatment um, where they, they raised his body temperature and they made it, no, lowered his body temperature um, and then slowly increased it over two days. Um, his body didn't react to it, didn't respond to it. None of his organs really started to work again. His his heart was pumping, but he was basically brain dead. And um, he was 70 years old. And my sister and I had no idea what his wishes were. You know, this was very unexpected. I was planning my wedding. Um, you know, my wedding was going to be in nine months. And so we had to make some really tough decisions and, you know, chose to end life support because we knew he wouldn't want to live like that. And we chose to cremate him, even though we had no idea really what his wishes were. And 
we buried him on my mom's plot because my mom was was buried um, in a coffin and we just figured that was the best thing to do. We did the best we could with with what we knew and um, in the craziness of of everything else you have to deal with when both of your parents die, right? We were like, okay, does he have a will? How do we figure this all out? How am I going to pay for this wedding that he said he had money for? You know, now we have to sell our childhood home. Like we, he lived in that home for 30 years. I grew up in that. My mom was pregnant when they moved into that home and selling that home, selling his car, all the things that people don't really talk about (laughs) in grief that are just really crappy, but you have to do it. Plus I was doing that while living in a different state. So I didn't handle it very well. Um, By the time I was 28 years old, I had lost both of my parents, all of my grandparents, and I was about to marry the love of my life. It was supposed to be the most exciting time of my life. (laughs) So I did go back to therapy um, and somehow made it through my wedding, but I felt numb. I did not feel very present. I was very much just going through the motions um, of what I felt like I was supposed to be doing. Um, and I remember I kept saying, I kept, I had many panic attacks. I I was not in a good, like what, knowing what I know now, like my nervous system was so unre- dysregulated and I was just trying to push, push on through. Um, and I kept saying to my husband, how many weddings have you been to where both of the bride's parents are dead? Like, I, I just, I didn't like the attention of that. I like, I knew everyone was going to know it. I knew everyone was going to be thinking about it, but it was our wedding. (laughs) Um, and my dad was alive when we picked the venue and picked the date. So like, we just wanted to go on with that because that's what he knew. So that's why I chose to go on with the wedding and we wanted to celebrate, you know, we wanted to celebrate. So After our wedding, we moved back up north to be closer to family. And the next couple of years got even harder for me again, because I didn't, a lot of major milestones were happening and I, I wasn't in therapy anymore because we moved. I stopped seeing that therapist that I was seeing when I was planning my wedding. And again, I just felt like, ah, I could just got to carry on and push through. So we We moved a few times. We bought our first house. We had two children. I stopped working, which I didn't really want to do um, and became a stay at home mom. Um, So between postpartum depression and my unresolved grief, I was the most depressed I've ever been in my life. And that is when I started to cope with food and alcohol and I gained weight. I was drinking a lot. I felt unhealthy. I wasn't exercising and fitness is my background. Like I used to teach fitness classes. I was very into all of that. Um, My marriage was suffering. My life felt like a mess. I felt very stuck and I didn't know how to get out of it. We moved one more time for my husband's job and then COVID hit. (laughs) And um, you know how that goes and so much loss around COVID and I was home with my two young girls, not understanding what was happening in the world. And I found coaching um, through Instagram. I just saw, found some other coaches. I, I, I wasn't really into social media before this, but I learned what hashtags were. And I started following grief hashtags and found this whole, like you said, uh, griefstagram or something. Yeah, 
like this whole grief community on Instagram. And I was like, wow, like there are other people out there who get it, who get how complicated grief is, who get how, how hard it is and how you can feel stuck, who have suffered losses like I have. Like what? Like I just never, I've gone most of my life just not acknowledging that. Um, and I started to go back to therapy too. So things changed. Um, and the more and more I learned about coaching and took a few courses and did a few things, I decided I wanted to become one myself. Um, you know, the moment I was honest with myself and the moment that was when I started to heal, that was when all areas of my life started to get better. Um, so yeah, that, that was basically my story. And, you know, I, I love the name of this podcast because it's called daughters without moms. And I can, I can actually speak my truth. Now I can say, I am a daughter without a mom. I'm a daughter without a dad. You know, my, my mom was a daughter without a mom. My mom's mom died when she was 20. You know, as there's a generational pattern happening, you know, I have two daughters now, right? And I want my two daughters to know about their grandparents that they will never meet. So we talk about them. We have pictures of them. I always am like, oh, Grandpa Jeff would think that was so funny, you know, if my daughter does something funny. Um, I don't want them to be afraid of death or dying. Um, so that is sort of the atmosphere that I've I've built in my home as a result of all the loss that I've been through. Well, I love that you um, are are sharing that with your daughters. That you, you, Grandpa Jeff, is that what you? That was your yeah. dad's name? Yeah, I think that that's great because I know one of the things. My mom died when I was thirteen, and I always felt like like nobody told my stories. You know what I mean? There wasn't anybody to tell my stories. So it's so good that you're already creating them and keeping them alive and um, sharing the things. I think that that's awesome. I'm also glad that you like the name of the podcast because I've had a couple people who reach out saying, but we are still, we do still have moms. And I'm like, yeah, we do. But I think it's when you have early loss, like you and I have, like I, and I have a wonderful stepmother whom I love very much and has, um, I couldn't ask for a better, you know, mom number two. But I think when it's early loss, you kind of, you're like, yeah, but I do feel like a daughter without a mom because I got married without my mom and had children without my mom, all those major milestones, like you, you said. So, but thanks for the affirmation. I appreciate it. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, so one of the things that I wanted to ask you about a little bit was um, this high school counselor that you still keep in touch with after 20 years. Like I often think back to have like, what could somebody have done for me as a 13 year old? Because first of all, I mean, this was back before social media. It was just awkward. Like you didn't talk about death. You didn't, you came back from summer vacation. Everybody's like, oh, what did you do? You know, back then it was before people knew what you had done all summer. Right. And you don't say, you know, oh, well, my mom died. You know, it's just, it just didn't, wasn't, wasn't easy to talk about, you know, it's an awkward stage of life to begin with. Um, so like, what are kind of the thing, you know, what did he do for your teenage female self that, you know, reached you and, and helped you, if you don't mind? Yeah, no, I love that. Um, I think he was the first 
person I felt safe opening up to um, after everything I've been through. You know, he he related to me. He said to me, you know, my dad was an alcoholic too, you know, and that immediately was like, oh, okay. Um, and honestly, as funny enough as it is, like I kept saying how I avoided talking about my grief for basically most of my life. My work with him was a lot about my dad being an alcoholic because that was so present and what was going on. Um, you know, we touched a little bit on the grief. We touched a little bit on the trauma, but um, a lot of it was about that. And he just helped me realize that like, you don't have to figure it all out on your own. Like, it makes sense that you're struggling right now and here's why. <laughs> and, you know, and gave, just helped me have, I met with him every week. I mean, it was practical exercises that we did together. Um, I know he helped me write letters to my dad. He helped me write a letter to my dead mom, you know, um, those types of things just started to open up. He did encourage me greatly to find a therapist outside of school because <laughs> he was like, I can only do so much with you, you know, with, you know, I have a lot of other students that I work with and I was like, nah, I got you. You're my guy, you know, and I refused it. I refused it. If I could go back, I would have, but, um, yeah, he, he just really helped. Mm, that's awesome. That's so great. And especially, I think I was intrigued because of, you know, him being male and you being female, like, you know, in 11th grade, you know, I would think that it would be a, a woman counselor. So that's awesome. But now that you're explaining the connection with your dad, um, and it makes that that makes sense. And hallelujah for him being there for you when you when you needed that. That's great. Yeah. Um, I also appreciate you didn't say crappy, but I wrote it down with aster with a star as crappy necessities of death, you know, because yeah. you said your mom was already gone, that you and your sister had to deal with all of the things of selling the car and selling the home and you know, like we do such a not great job in our society of dealing with grief to start with just talking about it. But all of those things, like it's the one thing that we all are guaranteed. We all are guaranteed that we're not going to live forever, but we just do, don't do a great job of preparing for it. And, you know, I know people don't, don't think that they're going to die, you know, um, and even if you are hit with a disease uh, that you fight for long-term, sometimes people still don't get their affairs in order. Like I was, I mean, not necessarily a, you know, a high school course, but I feel like it should be, you know, like you learn how to balance a checkbook. You learn how to do this. You learn how to do that. Like just the basic things we should be getting our affairs in order. Right. Absolutely. You know? Yes. And, you know, my dad had a will, thankfully, um, which made the process a little bit easier. Um, but we didn't know his wishes. Like if I die, you know, do not resuscitate. Like we didn't know if, if he would want us to take him off life support or not. We just went with our gut. We didn't know if he wanted to be cremated or buried, you know, all of those things need to be in order. I think there's just this stigma in our society that it's so hard to talk about grief, to talk about loss, to talk about the thought of us not being here, that we don't prepare for it. And that is like the biggest, biggest mistake, you know, like there needs to be more education around that. Definitely. Mm -hmm. And I know there is, there's definitely starting to be, there's a big movement 
on the Greekstagram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I think that there is too. Um, but the other side of that is like if you, I mean, you and your sister made the decision, you know, made the best decisions that you could, but um, you know, you said that your father was already brain dead. So, but the other thing is like, you know, a DNR, a do not resuscitate. That's such a huge thing. Um, and I was with my sister when she went into respiratory distress and we were back in the critical ER and the, the woman was like, you know, do you, do you want to be on life support? And my sister said, no. And, uh, and I will, I will never forget that. I share about that. I do share about that, that sometimes the worst day isn't the day that they die. Like for us, that was a day she was very near death and it was the scariest thing. Um, but she knew, like she, you know, knew and, and did have it written out as well. So um, well, as, diffi as difficult as it was for me to hear as her sister, I think, you know, thank God she didn't have to try to make that kind of decision in the midst of her, of a critical situation. Right. right. Or the family having to make that decision in the right. midst of a life or death critical situation. That's just, yeah, things that if we could take that stuff off the table, because there's enough things to deal with as it is without those really hard decisions, um, you know, Right. Cause like you said, it was hard for you to hear that. Right. So for you, like for us as the outsiders, like, we're like, wait, what, what do you mean? You know, but those are our emotions talking, you know, mm -hmm. not the practical and, and, and we have to accept that person's wishes, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard. <laughs> it is really hard for sure. Um, so before we started recording, I was just, you know, telling Lauren how I, this podcast has been such a big part of my own healing journey. So now that you are in the grief coaching, grief empowerment coach is what you, um, how you, what you, what you, how you describe yourself, what have been, what have, my first question is, is what parts, what parts do you like the most? And then my second part is what parts are most helpful for you in your own journey? Oh, I know. Well, what I love the most is now being a safe space for other people to open up about their loss and their feelings and their anger and their jealousy and all of it that goes with grief, right? Um, I call myself a grief empowerment coach because I don't necessarily focus on the grief. I focus on you. I focus on the the now, what, what are you going to do for yourself now because of my own lived experience? I was so lost in my grief for most of my life, you know, and if I had only gone through the steps to just acknowledge it and let allow myself to heal, um, it could have been a lot easier for me. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I just love watching people have these aha moments of like, Oh, like, this is what my grief is showing me. This is what I want to do with my life now. You know, I'm not going to let myself fall into these traps of, you know, like I, like I said, for myself, I used alcohol and food to cope, you know, for way too long. And it just fed my depression. So that's, I love helping empower people to be their best versions of themselves, you know, through this really tricky world of grief. 
Um, and the best part for me was that, what was the second part of the question? Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. The yep. best part for me, you know, I was really scared to go into the grief coaching world. Um, my certification is a health and life coach, right? Um, but I have, I knew I wanted to work with people in the world of grief, but I was really scared because then I would have to hear people's stories or it, I was afraid of what it would bring up for me. But similar to what you just said, it helps me in my healing journey. I learn every coaching session I have with my clients, I learn something from it. And I go, yeah, like, and I, I, it, it helps me in my own journey. It helps me be more open about my grief. It helps me appreciate who I am and what I've been through and how far I've come. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause there's so many, I mean, beyond the physical loss of a person that you love, you lose the person that you were before that. Um, you know, if you were a caregiver in any way, which it sounds like you were with your dad, you took care of him, you know, that thing is now gone. Like you said, after your mom was gone, you know, you guys kind of all were like, okay, you know, there's so many losses wrapped up in that, that big loss of the, the physical person that we love that um, there's just so much to untangle in that web. And so I think you're right. I mean, I'm going to be this is going to be 40 years for me this year since my, that my mom's been gone and I still learn things. I just drove to Maine to, to go to have Thanksgiving with people because I, a cousin found boxes of my mom's stuff in her parents' house. And, you know, it's a constant journey. Um, right. And yeah. And learning you, you, I, I forget how you phrase it for you. I always say learning to grow with your grief. Um, that's kind of what my tagline was. Cause I don't think you get over it. I think you have to learn how to, to grow with it. And sometimes that means two steps forward. Sometimes that means two steps back. Um, and there's different seasons of it, but, um, just learning how to continue to, to grow with it and carry it with you because it is a part of who you are. Yeah, exactly. It's not something you just get over, right? <laughs> I'm always going to miss my mom, even through the complicated relationship I had with her. And I'm always going to miss my dad. And like I was saying, and when major milestones hit, it, it's not even just major milestones. I hear a song on the radio and I start crying, right? Like it's every day. Um, so that's why I am so passionate about just allowing yourself to heal and grow with your grief, like you said, because it used to be, I used to crumble when I would hear a song, you know, and then go home and drink a bottle of wine or something, you know, like that type of thing. And now I don't do that anymore. I don't need to do that anymore. I smile, I cry, and then I smile. <laughs> and then I say, Hey mom, you know, and move on with my day. Yeah. Yeah. So tell people where they can find you if they're interested in learning more about what you do. Yeah. So um, my website is griefstrength.com and my Instagram handle is griefstrength. Um, yeah, that's the best place to find me. And uh, I also just want to say that if anything I said resonates with you, feel free to reach out to me because I have been loving connecting with other grief warriors and talking to people about their grief journey. Great. 
So if anybody is listening to this where you can't, you know, jot down where to find Lauren, I will put all that, everything will be in the podcast show notes. So you can come back later and look at the show notes wherever you're listening and find uh, Lauren's uh, website and her Instagram handle because we will put all the things in there. So I usually wrap up the podcast. If you have a final, you know, thought you want to share or something to leave the listeners with today. Yeah. Um, I would say always honor your grief, no matter how many years have passed. If you feel sad, let yourself be sad. If you want to talk about them, talk about them. If you want to make their favorite recipe, make their favorite recipe, but acknowledge how your grief has impacted your life. Don't ignore it. If you're feeling stuck or lost or depressed, seek support. Um, reach out to other grief warriors. Uh, you are not alone, even though this journey can feel so lonely. So true. So true. Yep. And even like you said, when you started um, that there's just, just fine. I think maybe we were talking about this before we started recording, but just that there's this, as I'm not a social media fan, but when I started Daughters Without, Without Moms, I was like, wow, there's this weird thing that you just have this general connection of losing someone, but you already just feel like you're you're accepted or it's safe or whatever, because you're, you know, you're a part of the club, unfortunately, but it's a common bond that just creates this immediate sense of unification. Yes, absolutely. The club that you never wanted to be in, nobody wanted to be in, but you're yeah. in it. It really we is. Are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Lauren, thank you so much for being here today and for sharing your story and for all the work you are doing in the grief community. Um, I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. If you'd like more information on my thoughts about the grief journey, please visit my website, www.yourgriefjourney.com. If you'd be interested in sharing your story on the podcast, please send me an email to daughterswithoutmoms at gmail.com.